So my name is Dr. David Kim. Um, my wife, Dr. Janet Kim, and I live and work in Staten Island in New York City. Uh, we run a, a faith-based, federally qualified health center, Beacon Christian Community Health Center in New York. It is the only faith-based, federally qualified health center in New York City proper. Well, I think CMDA serves a very unique and special purpose. So I was encouraged to think about how, as a Christian, in healthcare, I could use my skills to honor God and bring hope and healing wherever God would allow me to be. For me, it came down to sensing God calling me to stay in New York City and work amongst the underserved. We got to see in reality and in real time how whole person care fueled by the gospel, driven by the gospel, could truly transform lives. And that's been our guiding compass to this day. But it's really that community that you enter when you join CMDA that allows you to be able to explore how your faith impacts and affects and, and really should be shaping how you work. You know, if, if heaven is even a smidge like what I've experienced, you know, every time I come to be in community with fellow CMDA members, it's going to be an amazing place. Hi, this is Dr. Mike Chupp, and you are listening to CMDA Matters, the weekly podcast of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. Well, I've said it before, and I'll say it again, I really enjoy hearing those testimonies from our members at the beginning of each of our episodes, just like that one you heard from Dr. David Kim. David and his wife, Janet, both physicians, have been with me on this program before, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, when they kept their doors open for those of their patients, even though everyone else uh, had closed the windows and the doors. They are exemplars, they are role models that challenge me and inspire me to raise up more healthcare workers to represent Jesus, not only in North America, but around the globe. I certainly hope that you find them as uplifting as I do, because they remind me of the importance of what we do here at CMDA, and how many people are being impacted through this ministry. There is still time to share your testimony with us and be featured on the podcast. You can send your testimony to me at CMDA Matters at cmda.org. I would love to hear from you, friend. Well, since it is June, we are hearing a lot about the word pride in the media as LGBTQ advocates push their agenda front and center. It's one of the themes that's dominating in social media and blogs, podcasts, whether in the secular or faith-based arena, all the way through June. You know, I really didn't plan it this way, but in God's providence, my guest today is an old friend and a wonderful radiologist, Dr. Steve Willing. He's been working on a book for over 15 years on the topic of, wait for it, drumroll please, the topic of pride. His new book is entitled Superbia, The Perils of Pride. He's got a lot of insight to share with us today. So buckle up and let's listen in. Well, today on CMDA Matters, I have an old friend that I met in the highlands of Kenya many years ago at uh, Timwork Hospital a radiologist uh, that made a big difference over many years. And it just so happens that he made me aware of a book that he has written recently, his first, I believe. 
And so I've invited him to come on the program today to talk with us about this book on a very important issue. But before we get to that interview, Dr. Steve Willing received his medical degree from the Medical College of Georgia. He completed an internship in pediatrics uh, from the University of Virginia and then followed with a residency in diagnostic radiology at the Medical College of Georgia. Uh, went on to do further training, a fellowship in neuroradiology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Dr. Willings spent 20 years in academic medicine at the University of Louisville, the University of Alabama at Birmingham, and then Indiana University, Purdue University in Indianapolis. He also earned an MBA from the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Over his academic career, Dr. Willing has published more than 50 papers in the areas of radiology, informatics, and management. He uh, has a role as an ongoing consultant in radiology at Timrick Hospital in Kenya. He's a visiting scholar with reasons to believe. And he's also an adjunct professor of divinity at Regent University. He's had a blog for some time, which has a very interesting name, The Soggy Spaniel. So welcome to CMDA Matters, Steve. We've been anticipating this now for a couple, three months, haven't we? Yeah, thank you, Mike. I'm following in the footsteps of some really illustrious guests you've had on this show. I mean, people like Katie Foss and Oz Guinness and Francis Collin. And it's time to give your listeners a break. Welcome to the sleepy time edition of CMD Matters. I have to ask, where did the soggy spaniel come from, Steve? My love for a dog. Actually, the soggy spaniel's name is Rudolph. And for one thing, Choosing a, a title like that avoids pretense. I mean, I I know somebody whose web blog is called the Worldview Warrior, and they 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 invoke these titles that sound really pretentious, and it keeps me humble. But also, the spaniel has contributed. He's a participant in the blogging, and you'll find some of the interviews where he and I interviewed Richard Dawkins, um, <laughs> not for real, but you can go back and see that he occasionally participates in the the writing. Well, I want to jump in to our talk today on your recent book and can you this is your first book. This is the first time you've become an author of a book, is that right? Well, I published a neuroradiology atlas when I was at UAB in 1995, so it's the second, but I don't think there's a lot of demand now for an almost 30-year-old atlas in neuroradiology. <laughs> well, what led you to tackle a project for your first book in 30 years? on the topic like pride, one of those seven deadly sins, what led you, to, was there some kind of sentinel event or was there a relationship or an experience that you had earlier in life that said, hmm, I really would like to tackle a, a book on pride? Well, I was seeing the effects of it, certainly in my practice over the, in the early career, seeing, you know, medical catastrophes from physicians who were overconfident in their own abilities. But that wasn't the real trigger. I talk about in the introduction, my younger son was struggling with some algebra homework and I, he asked for help. So I tried to help him. He says, no, you're wrong. And uh, that's not what the teacher said. And I had somewhat taken pride in my mathematical prowess. And we talk about this with a pastor and he says, you know, have him read Daniel chapter four about Nebuchadnezzar and have him explain to you what the message of that was. Well. I kind of seized on that myself. So I went and studied the passage and started seeing pride as something we really needed to take seriously. One thing led to another. Then I started learning about cognitive biases and how that impacts our thinking. And 
it mushroomed from that little seed. It grew into this massive forest where it's kind of a situation where the more you know, the more you see. So it, I equate it to bird watching. You, you can be walking in the woods and say, oh, that's a brown bird or that's a yellow bird. And that you don't, you're barely scratching the surface. But when you really know birding, you say, oh, that's a prothonotory warbler. You just start to see it much more clearly and you start to see it everywhere. And when I started seeing it everywhere, I was beginning to see the carnage. And that's the issue. It's not just, okay, well, I can find pride here and I can find pride there. It's seeing the the personal carnage, the conflicts, almost everything we see that's wrong with society, almost everything we see that's wrong with the church can be traced to that. Mm -hmm. And that's a biblical position. That's how the Bible would view it is my contention. Now, people are free to read my book and prove me wrong, but I think that's a very defensible proposition. Well, you spend about 10 chapters answering this first question I'm going to I'm going to ask, what is pride? And uh, certainly listeners, you're going to uh, want to buy the book because he just, chapter after chapter, Steve, you unpack the various aspects of pride. But how would you wrap it up in a little bow, uh, a, a little abstract on what is pride? Well, that's really the $64 million question because I will see very well-respected Christian teachers get confused over the actual definition because we struggle with this. Okay, the pride of a mother for her children, is that a sin? And we get wrapped up in these contortions. How do you work this out? Is the little pride good, but a lot of pride is bad? And in fact, what that is, it's a fallacy of equivocation. The word pride in the English language has at least 17 different definitions. And the pride of a mother and her children or the pride of an author and a work well done is a completely different thing from sinful pride, which is overconfidence and inflated opinion of oneself. So it, they are completely different things. So it's not that a little pride is good, but a lot is bad. It's the biblical pride, none of it is good. Now, the legalist in us wants to reduce it to a simple thing that we can simply not do. But it's not that simple. The pride isn't an action. It's not a thought. It's a mindset. And that's why it takes me 11 chapters to unpack all that pride entails. Well, it was humbling to me, Steve, actually very humbling, just to even think about your title, because I took four years of Latin in high school, but I don't remember that the word for pride in Latin is superbia. So that, that alone, just your book title, uh, reminded me of how fragile my memory is. Well, I was looking for something that'd be a little different. I mean, I toyed with a title, how you're not as incredibly awesome as you think you are, but I thought that was a little verbose and probably <laughs> wouldn't sell a lot of books. So superbia might, might work. Well, and, 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 and this... there is a book on humility called Humilitas by John Dixon. So that kind of a response to that. I mean, well, it's a good book. For the listeners, the subtitle, The Perils of Pride, again, 10 or 11 chapters, and then not leaving us all depressed, but spending four or five chapters developing the power, explaining the power, critical need for humility in our lives. So why is this, why should this be a big deal to every single person listening to this interview? Well, if you want the straight biblical answer, because it's a big deal to God, I lay out in Scripture how often this subject comes up, and 
has been the historical church position, if you go back to the early church fathers, that pride was always considered the greatest of the sins, yet it's the one that seems least talked about. And even up to C.S. Lewis, who called it the greatest of the sins. This is a consistent thread, but I've, over the course of my life, and I've spent most of five decades, six decades, actively involved in the church, it's been really, really rare that I've ever heard pride mentioned in a sermon. I've heard maybe one or two sermons off pride. I've never seen a book on pride. You know, in evangelical circles, it's pretty safe to denounce lust. It can be really risky to start talking about gluttony, but it seems nobody's talking about pride and that you wonder about that. Um, maybe it's because pastors realize that it's going to be tough to to preach on something that they struggle with every single day. It's so ubiquitous. In fact, it's so ubiquitous that you're, the, the title of your first chapter, Steve, is The Theory of Everything. What does that mean, the theory of everything related to superbia? Well, what I was seeing as I started to appreciate the extent of it and all the various expressions of it, that I would look at something that was happening in culture, whether it's conflict over politics or conflict over race or church squabbles or doctrinal disputes, and everywhere it's fairly easy to drill down to the bottom of that and see that at the very core of it is pride. Um, in some of these areas, it's intellectual pride. Now, being wrong is not necessarily pride, but being certain that you're right, that is where pride kicks in. It explains almost all conflict. It explains much mental illness. It explains marital breakdowns. I have a friend who's a, spent many decades as a marriage counselor, and he said the only marriages that he was unable to save was where one or the other was a narcissist. And narcissism is pride just fully fleshed out in a person's attitudes and beliefs. So it does seem to explain almost everything. Andrew Murray says it's the root of every failure, and the, whereas humility is a primary means by which God's glory is manifest. So Andrew Murray called it the root of all failure. Now, that's he's not scripture. I don't accept that as canonical, but I think it's a scriptural statement. So if he's wrong, let's prove that he's wrong. But if he's right, it's something we need to take very seriously because the church doesn't seem to be thriving in 21st century Western civilization. Mm -hmm. And if the church is failing, and if pride is the root of all failure, then perhaps the church has a pride problem. Again, I'm not standing here as the guy on the hilltop denouncing the church. I'm saying, okay, this is a hypothesis. Let's talk about it. Let's examine whether it really is why the church seems to be failing in its mission. Well, clearly, as you stated when we first got on Zoom here together, that uh, this is not Steve Willing's opinion. I mean, you have over 500 references. Granted, you know, about 60% of those are scriptures. So this is definitely a 309-page a work with references to some great classics like Andrew Murray. I still remember the gynecologist short-term who showed up at Tenwick and said, Mike, I want to give you the best book I've ever read. And it was Andrew Murray's book, Humility. Um, and I must admit, it was a very powerful book. I think I need to read it for the third or fourth time. And I've been challenged to do that after having read your book. So how does humility factor in 
to the Christian mindset. We could spend a long time talking about pride and drilling into pride and its manifestations in our culture and in the world and in the church, but how does humility factor into the Christian mindset? One thing that I focus in on in superbia is intellectual pride, and that's the bulk of chapter three, which is probably, I think, the most challenging chapter to go through. But I talk about how people form their beliefs, and we think they're based on logic and facts and experience. But in fact, our beliefs are influenced by a wide array of confounding factors, particularly emotions and self-interest and even spiritual forces for good or for evil. But intellectual pride is where we are certain in beliefs that we should not be certain in, which is a belief in oneself. Humility, you know, Paul mentioned several times, enjoins us to think humbly, not to think too highly of ourselves. And what has been fascinating and what has emerged in this book, I could not, I started writing this book 15 years ago, but I could not have written this book 15 years ago because many of the citations that I employ have really only come out in the last 10 years. There's been an explosion of research from an academic perspective and humility and intellectual humility in particular. And not only this is a very scriptural principle, but hum intellectual humility is simply acknowledging that our thought processes are imperfect. We are swayed by a long array of confounding factors. So Christian, the Christian mindset begins with intellectual humility, ad admitting that we're not an expert at everything, that know-it-all is not a spiritual gift, as I mentioned. And then other aspects of the Christian mindset build upon that things such as actively open-minded thinking or cognitive reflection, which is a fancy word for just slowing down and taking time to think through something. Um, intellectual humility also means respecting tradition and honoring the Word of God. So I developed several principles that I think are foundational to the Christian mindset. And this is a response to some things that I've seen in the past. There are some famous works, one that is specifically called the Christian mind, but they never address these. They attempt to take it exclusively from Scripture, but mind is also based on Scripture, but without the insights that are obtained through observation, through study of God's natural world for general revelation, that adds a lot of insight to what was there in Scripture, but people were not picking up on. But the Christian mindset is founded on intellectual humility. Well, the very beginning of our Christian um, healthcare professionals oath, which at our national convention, I have all the healthcare professionals stand and recite this oath, putting in their specialty at the very beginning. But one of the early paragraphs, with humility, I will seek to increase my skills. I will respect those who teach me and broaden my knowledge. I will freely impart my knowledge and wisdom to others. So um, our forebears at CMDA or CMDS realized that humility was going to be a cornerstone for Christian healthcare practice. You know, you're writing this book, even as I'm reading the book, wow, it's just all this self-analysis that you go through and reading your book and thinking about ways that you've blown it and fallen short of the standard, especially the, the scriptural standard. How about for yourself? Did you experience any personal conviction as you're working on this? How long did it take you to write this book, Steve? I st I've been studying this subject for over 20 years, and I actually started re writing it in 2007. 
the story of writing it was pretty interesting because I felt like it really needed to be done and I really needed to get it out. But writing was a struggle. So I felt like I was failing at the job because I was so slow in doing it. But as it turned out, there was God's providence for at least two reasons. One, like I said, most of my really good citations have only come out in the last 10 years. And number two, my early writing was terrible. I went back and wrote some of these chapters that I started writing in 2007, I had to completely rewrite <laughs> because for me, writing is a learned skill. It doesn't come naturally. I, resem I resemble of, that remark. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of personal conviction, it, it's really kind of interesting. I do talk about the scriptural principle that when we see all these people whose pride is broken, their humility comes as a result of some crisis. We see that with Peter, with Paul, with King David, and many, many others. Because I have had so many crises in my life, it probably put an upper limit on how proud I could become if I had been extraordinarily successful in life and career and in relationships. It might have gone to my head more than I was able to do, but but still I continued to be convicted. And what kind of interesting to me, what I get most convicted for is judgmentalism. And that is the closing chapter of my exegesis of pride, chapter 11. And you know, you kind of think, well, if you're going to talk about pride, where would you end there? But all the other elements of pride that I talk about, overconfidence in one's goodness, overconfidence in one's opinions, overconfidence in one's abilities, all these converge into making us feeling very superior and very much in a position to judge other people. And that's absolutely where I get the most conviction and continue to. And COVID's kind of brought that on in spades because being kind of trying to follow the science as best I understood, I saw a lot of craziness at both sides. I mean, I find myself being judgmental for people who refuse vaccination, even though they might have had very good reasons. And I find myself very judgmental towards people wearing masks, again, even though they might have very good reasons. Mm -hmm. It's COVID. There's been a lot of judgmentalism coming out of the, the COVID epidemic. Well, fortunately, it's only been a handful, but I literally got emails from all, all over the country from folks who said, because you said this, we're done with CMDA. We're no longer going to be members. And I would write back and say, you've been a member. I'd look it up. You've been a member for 15, 20 years. And think of all these ministries that have been, you know, that, that have impacted your life and so forth. And you're going to let the fact that we recommended people get back. You're going to write that off because of, of a perspective in the midst of the pandemic. So I, I would say that was a, a bit discouraging in the midst of the COVID pandemic. Yeah. Dare I say a theory of everything? <laughs> right. Well, well put. Well, I'm intrigued by the concept. I'd never heard it put this way before about the ego's immune system and that uh, it, it jumps into action very quickly. And I'm guessing that our listeners haven't heard about this aspect of psychological immunity. Would you tell our listeners about the ego's immune system? Well, they probably haven't heard of it because I made it up. <laughs> sure. If you Google egoistic immune system, you won't get any hits. But it's simply a, a metaphor, actually. I talk about how it seems that whenever we our pride is threatened, our egoistic immune system kicks in. And how does, what does that mean? How does that play out? Well, when we experience failure, rather than saying, well, I must not have been that good at it, 
we start to make excuses why I failed. If we are feeling convicted by our own conscience, we rather than repenting and acknowledging our own personal depravity, we try to rationalize. When we are criticized from the outside, rather than accepting criticism with grace, we start to rationalize and defend ourselves. Chuck Colson made a, a famous comment that stuck with me forever. He says that man has an unlimited capacity for self-rationalization. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of interesting how he got to there because two things. One, he spent a lot of time in prison and he met a lot of people who, rather than admitting they were responsible for what got them in there, they made excuses or protested their innocence. But the other thing is that he was closely involved with all the Watergate conspirators. And although he wasn't responsible for Watergate, he was in on the action. And he saw retrospectively an analysis that at the time, everybody thought that they were doing the right thing, even though they knew it was wrong, they were capable of rationalizing it, believing in their hearts that it was for the greater good. So that's the egoistic immune system that lets us maintain this illusion in our minds that we are morally superior. Steve, I came across a scripture at the end of Isaiah, in fact, in the last chapter uh, several years ago that just really impressed me and impressed the prophet Isaiah as well, uh, in which he quotes God, this is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So suggesting the fear of God is then leads to God, I mean, the whole idea of God esteeming me or you, it just, it's uh, just uh, mind-blowing. So if by pursuing and de desiring pursuing and demonstrating humility, the God of this universe then esteems us, then that's something we need to pursue. So what does the pursuit, intentional pursuit of humility look like? That passage is interesting because it's true. God does value humility. And you think, well, all the things that we try to do to impress God, our personal efforts, whether it's memorizing scripture or going to a lot of church activities or accomplishing great things or being fully versed in doctrine and being perfect in doctrine. And God's not impressed with any of that. And all those require such extraordinary effort. But humility actually requires, from one perspective, there's no effort in it. All you have to do is change your opinion of yourself. But that is so incredibly threatening. Mm -hmm. What does the pursuit of humility look like? I transition in the book from my exposition on pride to what is humility. And I'd say, you know, our legalistic mindset, okay, we want to know what we're not supposed to do so we can not do it. And if we don't do it, then we're fine. But it's not what humility is. It's important to know what all these expressions of pride so we can not do it. But there's a lot more to humility than just stop it, like that old Bob Newhart sketch. Yeah, yeah, one of my ago. favorites. Just stop. There's more to humility than that, because humility is a virtue. It's a fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Meekness means humility. And God was humble. I mean, you say, how can God be humble? Well, if Humility is just having a proper opinion of yourself. Well, God is God. I mean, he's omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's omnipresent. How could God have too high an opinion of himself? But humility is much more than that. It says that God was humble because it says that Jesus humbled himself 
and came to earth and died on a cross. So Jesus expressed humility. Humility is an aspect of God himself. So it's a positive virtue and how that plays out in life. I can only, I feel like scratch the surface and the applications of this. There are a lot of other areas that still need to be developed. I mean, humility, pride and humility in marriage or pride and humility in the workplace or in parenting. I just give a, a broad outline of various aspects of humility, but I really try to emphasize the thought life, the mental life, because that seems to be, in my experience, what's been most overlooked and what's most ignored in the Christian community. You describe the power of humility as supernatural. How can that be? And maybe what is the relationship of pride in our lives to spiritual warfare? You know, chapter two talks about the fall, and most theologians agree that when Adam and Eve succumbed to the tempter in the garden, that he appealed to their pride by deceiving them, by making appeals that they could be better than they are, that they could be more virtuous, they could be more powerful than they are. And they, of course, he was lying, but they didn't know he was lying. And it's been working ever since. Jonathan Edwards says, nothing sets a person so much out of the devil's reach as humility. We have, I think, probably more take more time than you have in this show to get into how Satan works, but he's called the great deceiver. And that's his main tool. It's not oppression or disease or accidents, disasters. It's he appeals to our pride and he uses deception. And it's not the obvious manifestations of demonic possession and spinning heads and levitation. It's those little whispers in our ear. You're really more important than everybody else. You're really smarter than everybody else. You're better than everybody else. Everybody else may have it wrong, but you've got it right. It's those little voices inside our head that tell us what we want to hear. And that's how Satan gets his foothold. To a humble person, those little voices gain no traction. So it truly is, I think, our primary defense against Satan. To guard our hearts above all else, Proverbs 4.23, because <laughs> it it's, uh, determines the course of our life, uh, Solomon says. Well, Dr. Willing, Steve Willing, thank you for joining us today on CMDA Matters. Uh, there's a, a hymn that you put at the beginning of one of your chapters, one of my favorite hymns, just one verse. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Thank you for this labor of love um, in uh, writing Superbia. And uh, I'm going to be giving this book out as a few gifts and uh, as recommendations from, from CMDA as I travel uh, around and meet with our members and those in training. So God bless you. Thanks for all your work in teleradiology supporting mission hospitals, including Tenwick. And uh, uh, most grateful. And I'll look forward to uh, some more blogs on the uh, Soggy Spaniel. Thank you, Mike. And thank you for giving me this opportunity to go out and talk about something that I think is vitally important. And I'm, again, I'm not the expert. I just am trying to get a conversation going about something that nobody seems to be talking about. Well, I like how Dr. Willing so succinctly and clearly put the topic of humility 
in our conversation a few minutes ago, we need to be constantly thinking about and pursuing humility because it is so important to our God. And it should be a cornerstone of the kind of health care that we as Christians provide for our patients. What a simple and yet profound way to think about a scriptural principle that we strive to emulate in our daily lives. I hope that you'll check out Dr. Willing's book, Superbia, on this topic and learn more about how the sin of pride can keep us very far from our Heavenly Father. You can find his book on Amazon, and we've also included a link in our show notes today. And for those of our listeners who want to hear more from Dr. Willing, you can find a link to his blog, The Soggy Spaniel, in our show notes as well. Steve's also a regular contributor to CMDA's weekly blog that we call The Point. This blog highlights perspectives and opinions on the latest issues and news topics facing Christians in healthcare. This blog covers topics including assisted suicide, gender issues, bioethics, and even more. Our expert contributors, who include Dr. Willing, also recommend additional resources and information. You can visit cmda.org slash the point to join the conversation and catch up on the latest blog posts. CMDA's Center for Well-Being helps Christian healthcare professionals align with God, optimize well-being, and maximize influence. If you find yourself feeling burned out and overwhelmed by your daily demands, please reach out to our team in the Center for Well-Being. After all, you pour yourself out for others every day, and this is a place to be refilled. Plus, we've been expanding our services in the Center to help meet the great needs CMDA members have. You can sign up for certified coaching training courses that prepare you with the skills for coaching those in your sphere of influence, and our team can even help you walk through the difficult challenge of facing a malpractice lawsuit. Plus, we offer marriage enrichment weekends and retreats for our members to refresh and restore their marriages. Our team members have been where you are, and we want to help you through the challenges you face. Visit cmda.org slash well-being to learn more. I owe a huge thank you to many of you who've already responded to help your CMDA claim the $300,000 matching gift that will greatly help us in reaching our $750,000 fiscal year-end giving goal. To date, we've received $170,000 toward that match, and that is super encouraging. But of course, we're not there yet. If you've been delaying your response, I'd be so grateful if you'd take a few minutes right now to consider giving your gift. You can give online at cmda.org match, and our stewardship team would love to hear from you if you're considering a special gift of stock or Perhaps you're considering a qualified charitable distribution from your IRA. Many thanks for all the prayers and generosity that so many of you have already extended to help your CMDA as we close our fiscal year. I also want to remind you about the upcoming Voice of CMDA media training because we still have a couple of spots left open. CMDA is called on by the national media to give perspectives on topics like abortion, transgenderism, freedom of conscience, assisted suicide, and many other topics. This is a perfect time to learn how you can become a media expert within your field. 
This two-day conference on August 18th and 19th will teach you how to be a CMDA media representative. We'll explore together how advocacy and media work hand-in-hand to prepare you to use your media skills to testify in your own state legislature. For more details and to register, just visit cmda.org slash events. CMDA is excited to continue our partnership with the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary to host an annual in-person conference called The Convergence, Critical Conversations for Healthcare and Theology. This year, our topic is how theological and healthcare voices can collaborate to better care for those navigating mental health challenges. Please join us for this critical conversation as we consider the theological, scientific, legal, and pastoral aspects of mental health. You can join us live in Dallas, Texas, or virtually on August 4th through 5th. Registration is now available at cmda.org events. Be sure to join us next Thursday as I'll be joined by my regular co-host, Dr. Jeff Barrows, and two of our advocacy directors here at CMDA. It's certainly been a very busy legislative season so far in 2023, especially in the pro-life arena. So I asked these three teammates to join me in order to give us all some insight into the kind of advocacy that's happening on your behalf at both the state and federal levels. As always, if you want to suggest a future guest for the podcast, you can just email us using cmdamatters at cmda.org. And if you like our podcast, be sure to give us a five-star rating and share us on your favorite social media platform. As we close, I know that you're familiar with both the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. But I wanted to highlight a verse that we briefly mentioned just at the end of our interview with Dr. Willing. I think this directive from King Solomon should be called the great caution. It's Proverbs 4.23, which says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. This week, friends, as you strive to bring the hope and healing of Christ to your world, I pray that you will examine your heart for evidence of pride and that God will help you guard your heart from the sin of pride. And instead, you'll clothe yourself, as the Apostle Paul instructed us, with the virtue of humility. And what flows from your humble heart will be a godly life full of actions that will glorify Jesus Christ and bring his hope and his healing to the world around you. That's what matters to CMDA, and CMDA matters. God bless you. Until next week. This podcast has been a production of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are not necessarily endorsed by the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. CMDA is a nonpartisan organization that does not endorse political parties or candidates for public office. The views expressed on this podcast reflect judgments regarding principles and values held by CMDA and its members and are not intended to imply endorsement of any political party or candidate.
Once again, I want to thank our production team, Mr. Rusty Sluter, our sound engineer, as well as our director of communications, Mrs. Mandy Morin. Thanks, guys. 